This is an ABC podcast. Hey Norman, have you ever had a dog? I have, I have. Only one in my life, but I have had one. What was its name? Sebastian was his name. Oh, that's a cute name for a dog. I was seeing a, a meme on the internet the other day about an, a ye olde Duke of York in the 15th century writing a list of names that he considered to be suitable for dogs. There were more than a thousand names on the list. Would you like to hear some of them? I would, yes. I'm always fascinated in this topic. Keeps me up at night thinking about dog names. <laughs> Nosewise, mm-hmm. Garlic with a K. Really? Gaylard and Norman. You're kidding me. <laughs> The person writing it must have been barking mad. (laughs) Anyway, let's do a show about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor coming to you from Jagger and Turable Land. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday, December the 7th, 2022. One of the enduring controversies of this pandemic, Norman, has been its origins, this idea of, well, we know it we know that the first cases were recorded around Wuhan in China, but there's been questions around whether it was from the market where people first sort of started to become sick or perhaps it was a lab leak, either intentional or non-intentional. But it kind of casts a bigger question about where disease outbreaks come from more generally. And there's actually a new book that's just come out about this and you've been speaking to its author. Yeah, Professor Raina McIntyre, who's... Uh frequently been on the health report, and uh, we've used her a lot on Coronacast as well over the last nearly three years of the pandemic. And in fact, I had Rhina on the health report several years ago, in fact, at least two years before COVID broke, talking about problems to do with global biosecurity, and where she talked about just this topic, which is essentially what she's talking about in the book is natural versus unnatural disease outbreaks. And by unnatural, she means... Is it caused by human activity of some kind? Sometimes it might be nefarious human activity or accidental human activity. She also talked about the risks of new technologies such as CRISPR gene editing, which could actually change the nature of viruses, either again accidentally or deliberately, as in biowarfare. She has some really great anecdotes about different disease outbreaks that have happened in the past. But just to get one thing out of the way really quickly because I'm sure it's a question on a lot of people's minds. What's Rainer's view on the origins of this coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2? So, so I think one of the themes in the book is that doctors and scientists in this area are too quick to ascribe an outbreak of whatever kind to an animal spillover, even when it seems unlikely. I think Rainer's view is basically that people have been too quick in fact, almost from February of 2020, to assume that this is an animal spillover, when there are other indications that it could have come from the lab. And I don't think that she's plumping one way or the other really here, but she's just saying that we, we've kind of discounted the lab theory to great an extent, whereas it could have been a spillover from the lab, given that they were doing genetic manipulations of the coronavirus, and they were doing it with scientists from other parts of the world. Other coronaviruses, not this one, because this predates the... That's right. Coronaviruses in general. Yeah, other coronaviruses. The argument against this is that uh, the people who were working on these viruses say they know what the genomes were of the viruses they were manipulating. I mean, these are dangerous experiments to be doing, and that the COVID-19 virus doesn't actually match those genomes. Because we had virologist Eddie Holmes, or noted virologist and expert Eddie Holmes talking about this, saying that they basically pointed towards the specific cage in the market where they thought it 
it originated. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to put words in Rhino's mouth, but Rhino would say that essentially the, the market is not a surprise. It's just down the road from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And therefore, you could have had an, a, a lab escape and people taking it to the market on the way home from work or something like that, and that that's how it spread there. Although the people who believe that it was an animal spillover say that they've got some evidence of several animal spillovers. I think the core point that Rhino makes in the book is that epidemiologists, virologists, and others in this more medical sphere of the world are not necessarily very well equipped to investigate outbreaks because they don't do it in a forensic way. And by forensic, she doesn't mean detailed. She means, has somebody broken the law? Has somebody done something bad here? And if you are thinking that, then she believes that you actually need to bring in law enforcement uh, officials, people from intelligence communities, because they think in a different way, look for motives, and investigate outbreaks such as this in a different way. And in fact, she quotes in the book situations where the intelligence and law enforcement communities came to a conclusion that there was an unnatural outbreak, but were convinced by the doctors and other scientists that it was natural. And then as time goes by, the uh, the law enforcement intelligence people will be proven right. So to be very clear, we're not pointing one way or the other in this particular conversation, but let's talk about some of the examples that Reiner gives because it really is informative for future outbreaks which are bound to happen. There was one one where there was an, a gastro outbreak in the States which they just assumed was poor sanitation in restaurants even though the law enforcement folks were the ones that were going, no, no, it seems more sinister. Well, in fact, there was a politician claiming that it was a nefarious activity in the part of the Rajneesh. So give us the backstory here. This was a big outbreak of salmonella. I think there was about 700 cases and the common factor was that they'd all been to restaurants but there were 10 different restaurants and there was no common food substance. So it wasn't like a lettuce outbreak or um, some other common form of food. So there was no common form of food. There was no common restaurant. And the restaurants were not necessarily unhygienic. They seemed to have passed hygiene. Essentially, the scientific community said, no, no, this is a natural outbreak, despite the fact that there wasn't much evidence of a common epidemiological source. Over time, I mean, just cutting a long story short, law enforcement officials discovered a lab on the Rajneesh property which was capable of producing these uh, organisms and it turned out that it was in fact a a deliberate release. Another example given, which is a well-known example, is um, an outbreak of anthrax in Soviet Russia around a city called Sverdlovsk. And again, it was treated not just by the Russians, but by the Americans and others as well, as a natural outbreak. Yet, the problem with this anthrax was that it was actually an inhalational form of anthrax, causing a pneumonia-like illness, which is very unusual for natural anthrax. So it wasn't a normal form of anthrax, normal outbreak. And this leads me to one other thing that Reiner talks about in in the book is that if you've got an outbreak that doesn't behave the way that virus normally behaves in the natural world, and it's behaving in a different way, in this case it was anthrax, then you've really got to suspect that something unnatural has happened in some shape or form. And it took a long time for the world to accept that this actually was a release from a lab facility in Sverdlovsk. So the point that Ryan is making is that when you've got a new outbreak, 
you've really got to look to whether it's natural or unnatural. And the disturbing thing also from what she talks about is that you can't necessarily tell from the genes because when it's passed through animal species, either in the lab or outside the lab after it's been released, it can actually look like an old virus as though it's been around for a long time because of the, the genetic changes that have happened at speed which make it look much more mature than in fact, in fact it is. So these are difficult things to investigate. Well, you can hear Norman's full chat with Professor Rona McIntyre on the health report, which you can find on the ABC Listen app. But let's talk about the outbreak that we're dealing with right now, Norman. Coronavirus, probably not from a lab, but let's not rule it out. What's happening with this so-called short and sweet wave that we were meant to be having that was meant to be winding up at the end of November? Well, the numbers continue to rise. As we said last week, there may be some indications that the speed of rise might be tilling off a little bit, but you can't really see that from the numbers. Cases are really inaccurate because a lot of people just aren't getting tested, so they're an underestimate. Hospitalizations are going up. And interestingly, one data analyst, D.B. Raven, who's been monitoring the pandemic really since the early days and really does produce very reliable data, has shown that Victoria suffered a code red in its ambulance service a few days ago. So that's code red is when the ambulance service isn't able to meet sort of a lights and sirens level emergency with the um, resources that they've got and they've really got to redistribute resources, bring in staff that are off shift, that sort of thing. That's right. So it may or may not be due to COVID, but it could well be. Code reds are not that unusual in uh, winter in Australia, but now we're entering summer and we've got a code red going with rising numbers of uh, hospitalisations. So who knows? Winter because of flu, usually? Yeah, flu, infections, that sort of thing, yep. And what his graph tends to show is that there have been cold reds and associated with peaks and and rises in uh, COVID-19. Coming back to your original question, I mean, the height of the wave is lower than previous waves. The total number of cases is lower, but again, you just don't know it. But certainly the hospitalisation numbers are lower and deaths are going up a little bit. You could even convince yourself in some states they're going down a little bit, which may be due to the use of antivirals in uh, vulnerable people yet to be seen. I did want to put this question to you from Owen, who's written in saying, after avoiding coronavirus all this time, I tested positive on Sunday. I've had four vaccines, the last one in August, feeling terrible but not hospital terrible. On this week's podcast, Owen says, could you please reassure me and other listeners that I've done the right thing in getting vaccinated? Well, you absolutely have. It's it's really the best protection that each individual has against uh, severe disease. It's true that uh, with the new subvariants, the protection against severe disease has gone down a little, but not a lot. And you bring it right back up again to quite high levels when you've had a booster. So you've done the right thing. But coming to the key point here, which is why did I get infected when I was immunized in uh, August? And that's simply because the vaccines have lost their effectiveness against infection with the Omicron variant. They were pretty good with Delta and before, but now they're not that great. Although in the first few weeks, they probably are quite good, but it disappears quite quickly. But you're still getting that protection against severe disease. Oh, and I hope by the time you hear this, you're feeling a lot better. But you have done the right thing. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday. We'll see you then. <laughs>